0: Get tickets at brownpapertickets.com or supportive bookstores. For March 20th, progressive historian Greg Grandin. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley. KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for cover-to-cover open book.
1: This is Nina Serrano for KPFA. Mark Eisner's new book, Neruda, the Poet's Calling, has been described as, quote, the most definitive biography to date of the poet Pablo Neruda, a moving portrait of one of the most intriguing and influential figures in Latin American history. Few poets have captured the global imagination like Pablo Neruda. In his native Chile, across Latin America, and in many other parts of the world, his name and legacy have become almost synonymous with liberation movements and with the language of erotic love. Neruda, the poet's calling, is a product of 15 years of research by Mark Eisner, writer, translator, and documentary filmmaker. The book vividly depicts Neruda's monumental life, potent verse, and ardent belief in the quote, poet's obligation, unquote, to use poetry for social good. It braids together three major strands of Neruda's life, his world-revered poetry, his political engagement, and his tumultuous, even controversial, personal life forming a single, cohesive narrative of intimacy and breath. The fascinating events of Neruda's life are interspersed with Eisner's thoughtful examination of the poems, both as works of art in their own right and as mirrors of Neruda's life and times." Well, I certainly agree. As a Neruda fan since I first discovered him as an emerging San Francisco leftist Latina poet in the 1960s, though I actually filmed him in Chile on the campaign trail with Salvador Allende in 1970, all the way to today I've been a fan. I had also loved Mark Eisner's video with memorable music by Kike Cruz about Neruda, and I saw it many, many years ago. I found reading his latest work, Neruda, The Poet's Calling, a very satisfying and in some ways disturbing and provocative book. I learned about Neruda's life, his political and literary context, Chile, Latin America, and about poetry itself. Years ago, I recognized Mark immediately as a kindred spirit, a poet, a translator, editor, and activist. So, of course, I'm thrilled to have him as a guest on KPFA today. Mark, let's begin with giving listeners a taste of your book, which reads as easy as a page-turning novel.
0: Thanks, Nina. It's a tremendous honor to be here with you, and I actually got a little tear in my eye from all you said. So, it means so much to me. Gracias. Oh, thank
1: you. I'm
0: actually going to read from that night which you were at in 2004 where we were celebrating Neruda Centennial at Theater Arto in San Francisco with Kijarema and other poets such as Lawrence Ferlinghetti, Robert Haas, Jack Hirschman and Stephen Kessler showing my film, not just my film, a film many were involved with, the first screening of it narrated by Isabel Allende. And I'll start by reading from These last pages of the epilogue, which is actually the last pages of the book, it's only in the introduction and the epilogue that I speak in the first person. The evening was sold out, the 350-person theater filled, and an energetic crowd filled the expansive lobby, hoping to get in, too. The house crew set up extra loudspeakers so everyone could at least hear the performances. I thought of Neruda's fabled appearance at the 92nd Y in New York in 1966, the poet rock stars reading so packed, organizers set up closed-circuit televisions for those who couldn't get into the auditorium. Now, half a century later, a full century after his birth, in a theater in San Francisco, it was happening again, a testament to the enduring potency of Neruda's poetry, of its continued resonance. Lawrence Ferlinghetti took the stage. He spoke of Neruda's legacy, of his hundred years of beatitudes. He read his own 1960 poem, written while in Machu Picchu, titled Hidden Door, which he had dedicated to Neruda. Watching the audience from behind the stage, I could sense Neruda's presence filling that hall in all his enduring complexity. The love poet, the political poet, the experimental poet, Neruda the communist, Neruda the womanizer, Neruda the sailor on earth. We were there that night to celebrate Neruda, not just the idealized poet, but the whole man, the multifaceted human being. After the readings, we screened the documentary. It opened with Isabel Allende's narration, recounting her tale of taking Neruda's book of odes with her into exile, as Neruda appeared on screen, wearing a poncho and gray beret, walking along the coast to Isla Negra. The foam crests behind him as he looks out, then points to the sea, the sea that was such a part of him, a dominant metaphor. In some magnetic way, he once wrote, I move in the university of the waves. The sea, wide and vast, was like all the multitudes he contained and poured forth. Wide and vast like the plenitude of his soul, as well as the plenitude of his ego. And like that sea that seemed a part of him, Neruda was so complex, and yet at times so simple. With all the different aspects of Neruda and all their contradictions, at his core he is one great body, still in all its fullness, stretching across the world to all its famous and hidden corners. There, on the screen, Neruda watches the same waves that crash on Isla Negra's rocks today. The folk singer Ugo Arevalo, who now lives in Isla Negra himself, had told me that one of the things that had brought Neruda to live there was the ability to see the line between land and sea moving constantly, never fixed. I think that movement had a meaning in his poetry, he said. And as I myself saw it, that motion also had a role in the nuances of his life and the balance between self-mystification and truth and the need to adapt to shifting realities while always keeping his edge. That shore reflects all the changes he went through, all the battles, all the triumphs, all the tragedies of anyone's life, but certainly heightened in his, before coming back to the core. Neruda, mysterious as a sea, as much as we think we know him, as much as we could describe him that night in the reading and the film and music, as much as I tried to in this book, will never know everything, because he wasn't only a figurehead, nor merely an icon, he was also simply a human being. As the audience watched those waves crashing over the black rocks of Isla Negra, they heard an actor read part of Neruda's poem, Lazy Bones. Working on the movie, I had heard that poem so many times that it had begun to lose its effect on me. But as I listened to it in that packed theater, the words struck me with renewed emotion. Neruda composed the poem overlooking the waves of Isla Negra, not long after the space race had begun. The quote-unquote metal objects he refers to are the new satellites circling above in the night sky. While the possibilities they represent may catch his attention, the poet is still consumed by the beauty right here on Earth. Metal objects will still journey among the stars. Weary men will still go up to assault the gentle moon and install their pharmacies. In this season of swollen grapes... Wine begins its life between the sea and the mountains. In Chile, the cherries dance, dusky girls sing, and the water gleams from guitars. The sun, the sun knocks on every door and works miracles with wheat. The first wine is pink, sweet as a tender child. The second wine is robust, like the voice of a sailor. And the third wine is a topaz, a poppy, and a fiery blaze. My house has a sea in the earth. My woman has majestic eyes the color of wild hazelnuts. When night falls, the sea adorns itself in white and green and then the moon in sea foam dreams like maritime bride. I do not want any other planet. The poem's melody of innocent thoughts and imagery conveys that Neruda's work doesn't always have to be raw with politics or love. That at the heart of it all, His poetry is about the wonder of being human. That is what keeps people coming back to Neruda, the essential poetic expression of what we are at our core, the elementary within the complex, the ordinary and the infinite, the true and the unknowable.
1: You just heard Mark Eisner, author of Neruda, the Poet's Calling, reading from his own work. That was beautiful. Was that your translation of the poem that you read?
0: No, actually, I was hoping to get the chance to give credit to my friend Jessica Powell down the coast, Santa Barbara, who did this as well as many others, did the translation of City Light's edition, the first translation of Neruda's third book, Venture of the Infinite Man, the first time it's ever been translated into English this past November.
1: That was a nice reading. Let's talk about your book for a minute. I couldn't stop reading it night after night until I got to the very end. Unfortunately, I had to read it on Kindle. And I say unfortunate because it was too difficult to underline or put post-its. But to give you just a general feedback, one, that it was gripping. Two, it was enlightening. That first part where his machismo, his sexism, was introduced almost shocking but I'd already had a clue of that because I saw a Chilean movie that showed the period where he had to be exiled from Chile and they show him as not just a philandering husband that's not such a big deal but someone who was willing to betray his comrades for wine and prostitutes and that was shocking and I didn't know if that was the filmmakers evil viewpoint or it was reflecting the truth and then you didn't mention that in your book but you do talk about his treatment of women and and how he felt about them and his constant infidelity to all of the women that he wrote these beautiful love odes to and then you actually take on that subject how was that for you
0: well, first of all, in terms of the film, I respect the Lorraine Brothers and what they did with that film, just as filmmaking, as spectacular and brilliant acting. As they say, that's an anti-biopic, meaning that it's historical fiction. I actually disagree with, and didn't, one thing I really didn't like about that film, um, as much as I did like it, was how they depicted Neruda as that philandering and his behavior and those kind of orgy-type scenes. I don't think Neruda ever was like that.
1: When they were risking their lives in the underground to help him escape from Chile, that he would, and and he was told, don't leave the apartment. Whatever you do, don't leave the apartment. He would leave the apartment, leave Matilde there in the house all alone, and then they show him going off to houses of prostitution where it was all about drinking and partying and really pretty trivial thing to put so many people's lives at risk.
0: In all the research that I've read and all the people I've talked to who've researched that period and talked to people who actually, who are in this book, who actually housed him, but there's never any indication of
1: that. I'm yeah. so glad. Oh, I'm so glad yeah. because that was, that would be too, too cruel to think that he would betray his, his own poems and his own ideals and his comrades. Yeah.
0: Uh, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's a brilliant film, but it's also fiction, and so it's hard to separate that as a viewer. And even as I saw it for the first time, I was actually able to see a long cut work in progress of it with the director and producer. As they were working on it, and I was working on my biography, and it's just like I don't know what to do. I can't see because I can't. I don't want to get any of that in my head, or um, to divide that wall. But yes, that character Delia, at the time, um, his second wife, who's there, and even how they depicted her, it worked for the film. But I, of of all the people in his life, personal life, in terms of lovers and wives, she's my favorite. I didn't like people seeing her as as they portrayed him, her.
1: So in the book, you take on this subject of his, his sexism. And, and how was that for you? Because through most of the book and for the most enjoyable parts of the book, it's when you're praising him and when you join in his spirit and into his poetry. And then every once in a while you have to stop and deal with these Critiques these modern critiques. I call them modern critiques because really, it was expected for men to behave like that for most of history.
0: One of the first things when I started writing this book, I did not want to be a hagiographic book.
1: What does uh, that mean?
0: Um, praising as if they were your best friend, and, and, but that I really wanted to hold him accountable to his truth. When I started this book, I really wanting to hold him and analyze and and penetrate those all sides of him and already knowing that he had had these sides to him going into this. Because actually it's interesting that you said that about modern critiques critiques, and that it was expected of this in the past years because this book and it's recently kind of, happening in chile as well right now before my book it's just gotten out in spanish and will be in chile in a couple weeks and you know it also just as much as this book happened to finish it right right as trump took office and we're talking about a resistance poet, so Neruda's relevant today in the Trump administration and the timing of that. And also, you know, today in the cultural conversation of Me Too, you know, not that I would have written any differently, but in terms of that cultural modernness or timing of it, a lot of people are picking up on it. I mean, every, almost every review, as positive they've been, and when they say I unflinchingly critique him but in that I bring this up, it's almost that they put a little disproportional attention of a short review on that area, and perhaps that's because of the cultural conversation at the time. But the fact is, and what I find very interesting, and not that everybody's read the book, but what the rape scene, which is you know where he's at his worst, and where people have called, I can't read Naruto anymore because he's a rapist. That's from his memoirs. That's the only account of that rape. Is what we have from his memoirs. Those memoirs were published posthumously by his wife Matilde in 1974, I believe. So that information, that scene that I analyze, has been read. It's been out there for 30 or 40 years. I'm not saying you know one thing or another of people who've read it and not said anything, but. It's when you put it all together, I think, then you kind of say, oh, wait, what's happening here? He's describing raping somebody. But that's from his memoirs, which you might have read at some point over the past three or four decades.
1: No, I I hadn't read it, but I have read your book. Well, of course, I'm very affected by the Me Too movement and by feminism, so all of that section caught my attention because the book made me battle with myself. As I read the book, and you would talk about the different poetic stages of his life, the different influences and kinds of poetry that he was writing at different periods, a lot of it was like new and very interesting information. To me, I was learning about more about ways of writing, and since I'm always writing, that was very useful. But I would also have to deal with the fact, wait, but this is coming from this mouth of this imperfect human being. And then I'd have to go, yeah, that's you, Nina, an imperfect human being. That's all of us. So... Is there still stuff that you value from this poet, Pablo Neruda, that you have written odes to yourself? And I say, yes, there's so much that I value. He is still so moving. He is still so inspiring. And then when you describe socialist realism, when he takes up socialist realism, that is like the first time in my life that I actually read a definition Of what is socialist realism and I realized oh that sounds a lot like you Nina you like things to be upbeat you like the sunny side of the street you're definitely turned off by beat poets and existentialists and all their cloudiness you're not that different than parts of Neruda either and so then I had to come to terms with him because I love him So it forced me to come to terms with him, and I could embrace Neruda's poetry again. And just very recently, for La Raza Chronicles, I recorded the Chilean poet, Carlos Barón, who lives here in San Francisco. And he had written poems about Neruda, and I was happy to have that on the air, and then Alameda Poet, Andrina Zawinski had a wonderful poem about the exhuming of Neruda's bones. So I feel like I'm continue to promote and enjoy Neruda, and I've had to come to terms with the fact that it's very hard in this part of the century for people to to be perfect, or to historic figures to be viewed as perfect. But it was a big struggle. It doesn't sound like it. Laying there, reading your book, falling asleep, and arguing with myself until I could argue myself into a position where I could finally fall asleep. I read in bed,
0: and again, this is going on not just here and, and not just because of my book. Or you know, there's been debates happening in Chile and other places around his work for a while now. But it's that question that's very difficult, regardless of gender, or of who you are, of the reader, or the person is what do you do with the art of men who've done monstrous acts and i think we're struggling with that you know whether do we watch woody allen movies and it's somewhat the same thing and for some it's too painful to separate the art from the criminal man and i respect that i mean i think things are difficult and there's no denying he could be a let's just say in spanish on ground wave on and what does that mean to read naruto's poetry in light of him writing about the rape as he did? or how to think about Neruda's spectrum of aspects given not just his writing about the rape, but other problematic issues, not just when it comes to women, but as I said, political as well. For instance, after we were talking about All this after she read my book, a Latina feminist activist friend of mine said that when Neruda, quote, stands up at Machu Picchu and says he speaks for the downtrodden, I'm just like, yeah, right. That's what serves you. And you're a narcissist and a misogynist. And that in your personal life, you've absolutely showed that dominating other people was almost more compelling or useful. And so for her, she still thinks we should talk about him, think about him and read him that we shouldn't just stop reading the works who committed monstrous acts and are problematic. And this is just coming from her. Everybody has their own different take. I'll still keep reading his poetry, but I do have this in mind. But because they are a major part of literary history, and that Neruda is deeply a part of literary history, of Latin American cultural history and global cultural history, and also looking at the social movements and activists who do hold him as somebody important, Neruda is a deeply important part of literary history and Latin American cultural history and global cultural history. So looking at him, at his life and his legacy and his aesthetic accomplishments is incredibly valuable to us for a deeper understanding of things. But that's just one Aspect of it. When taking on this book, when you asked me that first question, and I just thought it was very important to make spaces and look deeply at what these literary histories can offer us today. And I just hope that this book has the ability to make us think about this particular figure, Pablo Neruda, in a way that is more honest since I looked at him in hopefully a very clear-eyed way. And Again, remember, of course, that people have been reading about that rape scene as he presented it in his memoirs for over 40 years now. How I dealt with it was to make a contribution and to put it out there so there's space so that you could grapple with it at night. And I'm so glad I'm I'm hurt. It's weird because I'm hurt, but I'm glad. (laughs) And, and, And I know that. You know, you know what I mean. And, but that's what. Well, when that's you,
1: why we write to raise questions it, it, in people's it, minds. Exactly.
0: And I'm not the one to answer it. I'm not defending him. I definitely do not defend him. You know, sometimes when you read parts of this book, it might be a little rosy, but I just think it's also even for global social movements. Many communities have put them. You know, put him kind of up on a pedestal for one reason or another. We all have, I have, not as a social movement, but just, you know, me and who I was, and that these, these truths of his life might be detrimental to that image. And so what do we, what do we do with that? And while it was very inspiring, he was also very problematic. As we're doing here, and I hope as in the last six weeks as this book's been out, in the discussions as I've been presenting it, whether it's the Bay Area Book Festival or at Penn World Words Festival in New York a couple weeks ago, that we're having that discussion and, and that other panelists are bringing this up because when we talk about all those pieces of the picture, it can only help us better understand who we are today and who we want to be moving forward as a society and as a literary community. I hope that the book can contribute to that conversation and the dynamics about the past generations and now the modern, as as you said it, and going forward.
1: Well, thank you so much. Mark Eisner, could you close by reading us a poem by Neruda?
0: It would be my pleasure, (laughs) especially after that. I will read one of his odes, one of my favorite odes of his. You know, one of the things about The series of odes, he wrote really four books of odes and and there are these, these odes to natural, usually natural common day things but where he could find the social utility that's involved in these things that we, we might take for granted or or don't really realize and, but he also puts in a poem, I hope the listeners might be able to hear that and, and this is o to wine it's from the essential neruda it originally published the translation in the central neruda published by city lights here across the bay in 2004 o to wine wine color of day wine color of night wine with your feet of purple of topaz blood wine starry child of the earth Wine, smooth as a golden sword, soft as ruffled velvet, wine, spiral-shelled and suspended, loving, marine. You've never been contained in one glass, in one song, in one man. Coral, you are gregarious, and at least mutual. Sometimes you feed on mortal memories. On your wave, we go from tomb to tomb, stone cutter of icy graves, and we weep transitory tears. But your beautiful spring suit is different. The heart climbs to the branches. The wind moves the day. Nothing remains in your motionless soul. Wine stirs the spring. Joy grows like a plant. Walls, boulders fall. Abysses close up. Song is born. Oh, thou jug of wine in the desert, with the delightful woman I love, said the old poet. Let the pitcher of wine add its kiss to the kiss of love. My love, suddenly your hip is a curve of the wine glass filled to the brim. Your breast is a cluster, your hair the light of alcohol, your nipples the grapes, your navel pure seal stamped on your barrel of a belly, and your love the cascade of unquenchable wine, the brightness that falls on my senses, the earthen splendor of life. But not only love, Burning kiss or ignited heart, you are, wine of life, also, fellowship, transparency, course of discipline, abundance of flowers. I love the light of a bottle of intelligent wine upon a table when people are talking, that they drink it, that in each drop of gold or ladle of purple they remember that autumn toiled until the barrels were full of wine and let the obscure man learn in the ceremony of his business to remember the earth and his duties to propagate the canticle of the fruit.
1: Thank you, Mark Eisner. You've been listening to an interview by Nina Serrano with Mark Eisner about Eisner's latest biography of Pablo Neruda, Neruda, the Poet's Calling, available at wonderful independent bookstores and online. Neruda, the poet's calling. Thanks for listening. Let the poetry in and enjoy the rest of your day. This has been Nina Sverno for the Poet to Poet series.
0: Speech in Angry Times is the title of a talk Robert Reich will give at the Mario Savio Memorial Lecture on Wednesday, March 13th at Pauley Ballroom in the Student Union Building on the UC Berkeley campus. Co-sponsored by the Berkeley College of Letters and Science, the Berkeley Library, the Goldman School of Public Policy, and KPFA Radio, this event will include the Young Activist Award. There is wheelchair access. Doors open at 7.30 p.m. Professor Reich will speak at 8 p.m. Find full information on kpfa.org. You're listening to 94.1 KPFA, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, 97.5 K248BR in Santa Cruz, and online worldwide at kpfa.org.